Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Krista Volpicelli. I'm based here in New York for Citigroup, and I run our investment banking team focused on the maritime sector. So spend all my time working with um, shipping companies on capital markets, execution, and mergers and acquisitions. Um, we have an esteemed panel of um, ship owners and a, a investor here um, who I think we're going to start out with a brief presentation from Panos to introduce you to what he and his company have been doing uh, in the Greek shipyard community. So I'll turn it over to you to start and then we'll go on with the panel. Thank you, Krista. Uh, a year ago in this room, I shared with you and I presented to you my vision and uh, my desire to acquire an urban shipyard, to revive it, uh, to restart it, and to make it great again. A year later, and because pictures speak louder than words, I would like to share with you, first of all, a very quick video, like four minutes, to better understand what we have achieved so far, and then six minutes of some slides with some facts. So, I don't know if, Nicolas? Ah, okay.
So after this uh, video, let's uh, go fast with some uh, uh, facts. First of all, market penetration. What we have done so far. A historical record for Greece. We have achieved to service in more or less seven months 38 vessels. And having in mind that during this period, my team on ground is not focused just in servicing the fleet, but also maintaining, repairing, and upgrading the equipment. It's really amazing. In this slide, you can see the categories of the vessels we have serviced. And in these slides, slides, these are the very first 38 companies, leader ship owners that trusted us, they honored us, and I'm very thankful about that. For 2019, the projection is 100 to 120 vessels. It's very secure, and we will closer to 120 rather than 100. So international ship owners, after 40 years, trust in Orion shipyards again. We have started since 2018, end of March, a massive upgrading program, not only in dollars, but also in time. We had to reform a scrap non-operating facility to an operating uh, facility. We achieved very fast in two months to upgrade to reach up to 30% of the capacity of the shipyard because the biggest bet was as soon as possible to make it work and to have operating income and train employees and technicians uh, on job. January 2019, we will reach up to 75% by having the Panamax size, the bigger floaty dog, in operations. And we anticipate to have the shipyard full ready in March 2019. We also plan to put a new Aframax dock during 2019 in operations. That will double, almost double the, si the, the size of the shipyard and increase our capacity uh, in ships that uh, more or less are three to 4,000 Aframax size in the uh, in Mediterranean. Job creation. We all know what happened in Greece the last eight years, also in Syros, because of the bankrupted shipyard, the situation was more worse. It was worse. So since April 2018, we created 310 jobs. And from October 2018, because of the massive upgrading program, we have added more or less 300 jobs, reaching to 500 jobs. From uh, January, 2019, these 500 jobs will be in regular basis, in monthly basis. And we anticipate after putting in operation the Aframax size new dock to reach up to 1,100 jobs, jobs, which is actually the roof of this shipyard in Greece. We are also very responsible about the environment. We had two major issues to deal with in very short period. The one major problem was 80,000 tons of sad blast waste. They were like there for like 25 years. Nobody did something about that. So we started four or five months ago. We have already uh, clean and recycled 25,000 tons, and we anticipate to have everything clean by the end of June of 2019. Also, uh, in the past, the shipyard used uh, old-fashioned sandblasting methodologies, which created a chaos during the summer months, especially in the island, which was a social issue. And we replaced everything with proprietary methodologies based on water blasting technologies, and that solved the issue totally. As you can see, the additional investments for uh, removal of uh, this sad blast waste is 1.5 million. The revival on Orion shipyards revived also the island of Syros. Just some numbers. From our restart, 
5 million has been absorbed by local employees and suppliers, and we expect this number to reach up to 15 to 17 million for 2019. 30 million for 2019 will be the exports, and projections for 2020 is to reach up to 100 million. And two final slides, uh, just to explain how that happened. Uh, I will share with you our internal evaluation process we use. Actually, we have uh, a weight average to final choice. We simulate how uh, the ship owners are make decisions when they make decisions where to send their ship. So we put in this algorithm some factors like quality, time, price, etc., etc. As a sample for that uh, was uh, the 38 ships up to handy size we have serviced so far, 38 repair jobs with average. Uh, service cost 225,000 each. Please have in mind, bear in mind that all of the ship owners that has been our customers, they have already sent gratitude letters to my team on ground and they expressed their interest and preference to come back again to our CBL. So, as you can see, these are the factors usually quality, time, price, working environment, transparency, flexibility country risk, they put into the account. And here we have the countries, the shipyards in Turkey, Malta, Bulgaria, Croatia, and Romania, which is considered our competition. And as you can see from evaluation from zero to 10, we are almost everywhere better than anyone else, except pricing for Turkey, Romania, and Bulgaria, which is something we knew. It's so, the labor cost there is very low. No one in Greece and Europe can compete that, but that does not matter since we have created new methodologies and procedures, we are more or less 50% faster, 5-0, 50% faster than anyone else, which at the end of the day make us the best choice uh, for the ship owners in the region. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, Panos. While Panos has been helping to revitalize the shipyard industry in Greece, Greece has remained uh, the number one country in terms of ship owners across all sectors of shipping. And we are fortunate to have representatives with us tonight uh, that cover tanker, dry bulk, container ship, gas, um, a little bit of offshore on an infrastructure side. So uh, I think we should have a, a pretty good discussion. Um, before we start, uh, I wanted to just pull up some slides just to talk to the importance of Greece in the ship owning community. Um, and uh, what I'm going to do is just walk you very briefly, briefly through a couple of charts that show the history uh, going back for the last 10 years of Greek ship owners and their percentage of ownership of the world fleet. So we'll start with the tanker side, uh, where today Greek owners own 27% of the tonnage on the water. Uh, number two is China with 9%, Japan is number three with 7%. Uh, if you flip to the order book in the tanker sector, you see those percentages are relatively consistent in terms of Greece's share uh, in this important industry. Um, as we talk about the dry bulk sector, again, Greek ship owners are number one with 22% of the tonnage on the water. Um, here you have a, a number two that's rivaling uh, a little bit closer with Japan at 19% and China with 19%, uh, but from there uh, it drops off pretty quickly. 
And lastly, on container shipping, um, where there has been a long history in Germany of ownership within this sector, but Greece is a clear number two, um, and you know, followed by China, Canada, where a, a large public company resides. Um, and so I think that you know, these graphs, you know, we hear about the rise of other countries. This is a conference to celebrate business in Greece. Shipping is an international business. And um, the companies that are here are all listed in the U.S., which is an important source of financing um, for Greek ship owners as well as international ship owners. Um, but maybe just to start, we can go down the panelists, and uh, each one of you can talk for a minute about your company, what assets you own, and talk a little bit about how the recent dynamics have been uh, for your industry, because shipping is a cyclical industry, as everyone knows, in terms of where things stand for the supply and demand of ships. Uh, but maybe you could comment for a few minutes about how 2018 was relative to what you view as, as a normal environment in your sector. Maybe Evangelos, we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I represent the NAUS. We are a container ship uh, leasing company. Um, we own and operate containers that we charter them to the world's um, major liner companies. Um, uh, the space uh, has seen uh, challenges over the last uh, few years. Uh, 2016 notably was a, uh, a tough year. Uh, since then, uh, things have improved a bit. The first half of this year seemed to be promising. Uh, during the second half, uh, the market has softened again, uh, mainly as a result of uh, all the uh, uncertainty around what's happening with the trade war and the tariffs and China and all that. Um, regulations are also uh, a factor that uh, contributes uh, to, to people uh, being indecisive on what exactly they want to do. Uh, we have the IMO 2020 regulations. There is carbon emissions down the road. So uh, all in all, I'd say that um, uh, at this point, uh, the market is uh, on a wait and see mode. Uh, of course, the order book, which is the supply side of the equation uh, is, uh, uh, an all-time low. There's been no, practically no real orders over the past two or three years. Um, uh, therefore, at some point, this is going to show an improvement of the market fundamentals. Uh, people are now focusing on investing uh, on, on scrubbers and, uh, uh, you know, on, on, on trying to uh, see how they're going to handle the new regulations. And uh, we're cautiously optimistic about the future. 2019, uh, we do not expect it to be a great year, but from 2020 onwards, uh, we see uh, the market being a lot more promising. Thank you. Harris, could you talk a bit about Sakos? Sure. Sakos uh, Energy Navigation uh, started back in 1993. We've been uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange since uh, 2002. Uh, the company is one of the largest independent uh, tanker owners in the world. We own and operate a fleet of uh, 66 vessels, 64 in the water and two under construction. The two 
were built uh, against uh, long-term contracts to a U.S. oil major. We recently completed the largest uh, growth program in our history. Uh, we took delivery of uh, uh, 15 vessels uh, that were built, uh, purposely built against uh, long-term employment. Uh, the company owns vessels in every category available, from the very large crude carriers, the VLCCs, down to the, to, uh, to the, to, to the smaller handy-sized uh, handy product tankers and everything in between, VLCCs, Suez Max, Aframax. And uh, the last few years, the company expanded uh, in kind of adjacent energy sectors like the LNG uh, uh, sector and uh, the shuttle tanker sector. Uh, we currently own uh, two LNG carriers and uh, three shuttle tankers, and uh, going forward, this would be an area of focus and growth for us. Uh, 2018 is finishing, it seems, with a bang. It started, uh, uh, not it started, I mean, the last couple of years have been uh, uh, quite weak in, in the tanker space, uh, primarily due to, to, to supply issues, usually in uh, uh, the last few years. Uh, it's the supply that is driving the recession in the shipping rather, rather than uh, the demand. The demand, global oil demand, uh, has uh, had an upward uh, trajectory since uh, you know, 2008. Uh, uh, so the, uh, uh, there is oil to, mo to move around uh, despite uh, the OPEC cuts that, uh, that uh, we have seen uh, the last uh, couple of years taking, uh, uh, taking place. Uh, and, uh, and uh, also their uh, partial reintroduction of, of those cuts recently. Uh, th uh, thankfully, we have the U.S. that has uh, now become the largest oil, uh, uh, oil uh, producer in the world, and uh, a lot of that oil uh, now is being shipped uh, abroad uh, to far away destinations. Uh, the oil ban was, uh, when, the, uh, when the oil ban was uh, lifted, uh, the U.S. has... Uh, uh, slowly started exporting uh, most of that uh, uh, most of that oil uh, internationally and uh, they have really gone uh, they have really increased uh, uh, the, those exports from uh, and just to give you the magnitude of those exports you know they started with uh, uh, 500,000 barrels a day now we are uh, probably in the 1.8 uh, million barrels uh, per day exports uh, we should probably, uh, over the next year, uh, have the U.S. Uh, between two to three million barrels, and experts believe that uh, over the next uh, uh, two to five years, the U.S. Uh, could possibly uh, uh, go beyond the three million barrels uh, per day. Uh, uh, so in a way, that nullifies any negative uh, impact any OPEC cuts uh, would uh, have had in the market otherwise. Uh, so things are starting to look brighter. Uh, the supply situation has been waning. Uh, the, uh, the order book uh, is today at historical lows. The scrapping of older vessels it ha is at uh, historical highs. Uh, just to give you an idea, I mean, just the order book today, it's about 9% of the fleet. When the market got destabilized back in 2010, that was closer to 20 to 23% of the fleet. Uh, so, so very much in, in, in balance of that front. The, uh, and there are a number of other uh, additional uh, elements that uh, could help boost the market going forward, one being the IMO 2020 uh, sulfur regulations that uh, could uh, and should uh, uh, help uh, accelerate uh, the departure of all the vessels from the competitive fleet. Uh, so in that, uh, in, in, in that uh, case, uh, we should have 
uh, a reduction of uh, of, uh, of supply, and uh, and uh, the market uh, it seems to be uh, to be developing into an owner's market going forward. So uh, it started uh, week 2018, but it's, it, it seems to be finishing with a bang. So we're well positioned as a company uh, to take advantage of that. We employ, we have three types of employments for our vessels. One is the backbone of the company's uh, philosophy to have long-term employment, to make sure that irrespective of market cyclicality, the, the, the company will generate enough cash to cover its expenses. So these are contracts uh, with a fixed rate for a fixed period of time. On average, about 2.5 years. Then we have uh, time charter contracts with a profit sharing element on it. So uh, we have the upside capability should rates go above that level. And uh, today, in this market environment, we are beginning to, to earn uh, uh, revenues from that uh, upside portion. And then we have a good complement of vessels operating 100% in the spot market. So they get 100% of the upside, uh, which today uh, uh, we are seeing uh, rates. Uh, at, uh, at, uh, at uh, very high levels, especially for the larger crew tankers. Uh, so all in all, uh, we look forward to, to 2019. It seems that uh, uh, you know, the order book, it takes a couple of years so to, to, to get the vessel delivered. So uh, uh, it seems that we have at least a couple of years of, 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 of runway for, uh, for, uh, for us to reap the benefits that, uh, that the market is offering. So the tanker sector, the tanker market uh, uh, looks, uh, looks uh, very good. So we're very, very uh, uh, confident that, uh, that uh, things will pan out as, as, as expected. Thank you, Harris. Aristides, could you comment on your two companies? Yes, hello. Um, we, we got listed in the stock market back in 2007. So we were one of the first companies to, to get listed. Uh, with Euroseas, which owned dry bulk and container vessels. We have been, uh, we took what we did privately and put it into the stock market, right? We had containers and dry bulk because we wanted to diversify uh, the risks. So having two, uh, invest, having been invested in two markets uh, made it, made it uh, quite a good uh, hedge. We realized over the years and as the industry here and, and the people and the investors uh, in the US started to understand the markets, we realized that they didn't give a lot of value uh, on this hedging strategy. They started to have their own opinions about the dry bulk, about the tanker, the container business, and they wanted more focused companies. And uh, we struggled until May, this year when we took the decision to split uh, our company into two and to spin off the dry bulk vessels into a separate company. So now Eurosys is left only with the feeder container vessels, very specialized part of the container sector, and Eurodry is invested in uh, dry bulk vessels, uh, Panamaxes to Supramaxes. The day we did the spin off, the shareholder value of the combined companies increased by 50%, proving, I think, that this was the right decision and proving that really the investors are now sophisticated enough to be able to or to think they can make the choice between what type of sector they want to invest in. And I think uh, th th this has been proven by, by what we did. 
I won't talk a lot about the feeder container sector. Uh, Evangelos talked about it. Uh, before. He talked about containers in general. They have small vessels up to larger vessels. We concentrate on the smaller vessels, which we think have uh, an advantage uh, because they are very much in need as the fleets are growing to do intra-regional trade. And this is the trade that historically the last few years, five or six years has been growing at a faster pace. So we think we are located at the right uh, part of the container sector. Uh, and we are the only listed company in the US capital markets that has these type of vessels. As Evangelo said, containers were doing well uh, up till uh, the middle of the year, while actually the third quarter, when uh, things started to become, uh, to not continue as they were doing. It is obviously uh, all this trade rhetoric, uh, all these difficulties uh, that uh, the emerging economies have started to feel. Uh, the Analysts have uh, uh, decreased their uh, estimates of, about global, uh, global growth. This is a fact, and this is affecting the container business a little bit. <coughs> Still, however, I have to say that the projections, at least that the IMF and the World Bank make for 2019, are that it is going to grow at uh, the world is going to grow at a GDP growth of 3.7 percent, which is a very healthy level, and if that continues, as, as the analysts say, uh, I, I'm quite confident that the demand for the feeder containers and the containers will be there and they will be able to be absorbed, just because similarly as in the tanker and, the, and in the bulker sector, that I will talk to you a bit later, uh, do not have a lot of new buildings coming. At the top of the market uh, in 2008, the order book was close to 50%, both in dry bulk and in containers. Today, it's at 10% at, it's at max for both these sectors. This is the lowest level of ordering of ships that we've seen for a, a very long time. So this is very optimistic and uh, makes us quite optimistic uh, about the supply of ships. Of course, the balance is the, what is the demand, and, and if the demand is going to be there to be absorbing the 3% approximately growth that we anticipate we will see in 2019 and 2020 in both the dry bulk and the container sector. And it seems that it will be there if the world continues to grow at the rate that people, uh, the, that the analysts uh, are, are suggesting. So we are quite optimistic that 2019 is going to be, for the smaller container sectors, uh, a good enough year. It's not going to be fantastic through the roof, but we don't see a disaster unless really the world economy collapses. Jumping into the dry bulk sector and to Eurodry, which is our dry bulk entity now, owning only Panamaxes and one Ultramax, Things look quite similar as well. The market uh, was strong uh, the whole of the year. It's strong now still, but we were expecting it to be even stronger. This business depends not so much on global GDP, but it depends a lot, of, a lot on China, because the main commodities that dry bulk vessels transport are iron ore and coal and grain. 
uh, but it does get affected by all these trade war rhetorics as well. And it has been affected during the last quarter. We've seen that. Charter rates for Panamax vessels today are around $11,000 a day, which is a very good return for vessels that have been bought uh, during the last uh, couple of years. Still uh, gives a lot, uh, a very good return. You pay your operating expenses, you pay loans, and there is profits to be made. And most of the dry bulk companies are going to be making profits during this last quarter, I anticipate, and hopefully within 2019. Again, in 2019, in the dry bulk space, we <coughs> see supply and demand pretty balanced, which means that this kind of market could continue. Of course, uh, if we have China deciding suddenly to stop, uh, as they did recently, recently they reached the, the quota for coal imports for 2018, and they stopped importing coal. So coal is going to India, which needs a lot to other places, but Obviously, uh, decisions like this can affect the market and will affect the market because they will always be happening. So, uh, but, but the base case scenario calls for a balanced uh, growth uh, uh, next year, uh, both in demand and supply. So a pretty steady market is what we anticipate in 2019. It might be aided a little bit because of the new regulations that uh, require uh, drive uh, all all ship uh, all ships to uh, burn this new low sulfur fuel which might be more expensive which will mean that ships will go uh, will ships will uh, go at lower speeds thus uh, essentially taking capacity out of the market other ships will install scrubbers it's not going to be a, a big amount of ships that in installs these scrubbers which are capable of using the old high sulfur fuel uh, cleaning it up, uh, theoretically at least, uh, and burning it, and it should be cheaper. Uh, but uh, the ships that are going to stop to put these uh, on board might take capacity out of the market. So there are some factors that suggest that 2019 might be even better. And 2020, when the new rules take effect, uh, we should see, or we all in the shipping business hope that we will see ships going a little bit slower, effectively increasing capacity, uh, decreasing capacity, and therefore rates going much higher. This is how we ship owners look at these three markets, I think, uh, as explained by all of us. Uh, the stock markets are not looking at it uh, at this point uh, in the same way. I want to conclude with this. Uh, we see that all stocks in all shipping companies across all sectors, despite the good fundamentals and the good earnings currently of most companies, are significantly undervalued. I think the global fear that we're seeing in the, in the, in the capital markets has affected us probably without reason, but uh, this is what's happened. All the shipping stocks are extremely cheap today compared to their NAV. And with that, I think I will close. And therein lies the opportunity. I think we are a bit over our time. Um, so um, maybe I'll turn it back over to Nicholas if you had any final words. The final words are thank you to you. And uh, thank you to our panelists. We had, uh, and let's have a picture. I don't know who is Costa Base. Bravo, Costa. 
Let's have uh, a picture of the panel. Thank you to all. I think we had a long day and a very good day. Thank you.